Very good morning, everyone, and uh, again, welcome to the house of the Lord. It's uh, such a joy and delight to see uh, our worshippers in person as well as all of you joining us uh, online through the live platform. Let's uh, surrender this time to the Lord. Holy Father, we want to praise you, Lord. We want to turn our face to seek you. Lord, we want to know your heart and live in such a way and pray in such a way that resonates with your heart. So, Lord, we pray that you will bless this time and that you release your word and your spirit upon our hearts. For we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our last session, we uh, talked about how Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal and uh, that in that great um, confrontation, if you will, uh, the people, the hearts of the people uh, turned back to the Lord and we talked about how that was an opportunity for revival and how um, the prophet Elijah prayed uh, before the Lord. And this, this thing about praying for revival, um, you know, so important to wait and pray before the Lord. And I thought that this uh, passage from Daniel is such a wonderful uh, illustration of uh, another great example of how we can pray uh, for God's restoration uh, on the land. Uh, there are many prayers in the Old Testament, and uh, you've got the, the wonderful prayer of uh, King Solomon at the dedication of the temple. You've got the prayers of King David through the Psalms and uh, some of the prophetic literature as well. But Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 here really stands out as one of those very moving, powerful prayers recorded for us uh, in the Old Testament. Here's the background of uh, where Daniel is um, uh, doing while he was uh, praying to the Lord in Daniel chapter 9. What was his context? Um, just a bit of historical background. Uh, Pastor Shern covered some of the, the history of how the kingdom of Israel broke up into two, the northern southern kingdom, and how they eventually, both north and south, uh, went into exile. Now, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, was uh, from the south, the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, in 605 BC, the, uh, what you call it, the Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, king of Babylon, came and uh, invaded uh, Jerusalem. Now, at that time, uh, Daniel was just a young teenager. We don't know exactly his age. Quite likely, early teens, maybe 13 to 15 years of age. So, at that time, about 605 BC, um, the king of Babylon took back some hostages, including uh, the young men, the promising young people of uh, Judah, and brought them back, brought them back to um, Babylon. And this incident is also recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 25, about that same time when this, uh, the, the first invasion came. And this is when the prophet Jeremiah, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, uh, talked about the 70 years all right, under exile. So that was uh, when Daniel was uh, quite young, and uh, about 20, nearly 20 years later, in uh, 586 BC, uh, this was the final great invasion where the, the, the Babylonians uh, put Jerusalem to siege, eventually overcame the defenses, the temple was destroyed, and this was the great exile, if you will, of uh, the, the land of Israel into bondage and uh, exile. Now, by the time we come to uh, Daniel chapter 9, this was about 67, 68 years since Daniel was first exiled. So he's, he's, he's been there a long time. And he's about maybe over 80 years old at, at that time, Daniel chapter 9. And so he's reading uh, from 
the book of Jeremiah, and that's the context of his prayer. And, um, you know, he said that this is the first year of Darius the Mede. We, we think that uh, some scholars think that Darius and, and Cyrus were the same person. We're not quite sure. Nonetheless, um, from the dating he gives in the beginning of uh, Daniel chapter 9, this was about uh, 538 BC. And we know from historical records about that time as well, the, the, the King Cyrus, the, the, the emperor of the Persian Empire, issued out that decree to allow exiles uh, to go back to their home country. So it's a remarkable um, fulfillment of God's preordained word in terms of the length of exile. We're talking about, you know, maybe 67, 68 years, almost 70 years, and, uh, you know, from a biblical perspective, it might have been the, the prayer of Daniel himself that moved God's hand a few years early uh, to uh, start to move the people back from exile. There's a, a few points I just want to bring out about how Daniel prayed that perhaps we can uh, learn from. He prayed from a strong sense of identity with God's people. Uh, he didn't say, he has done well, he's, um, you know, he's quite a high official in, in the, the, the foreign government, but he never uh, forgot who he was, where he came from, and he, he prayed from a very strong sense of identity. He also prayed in response to God's word, as we read in the scripture that was uh, uh, shared earlier. He also prayed in a, in, in a way that resonated with God's heart. And so, some of the key points that we might want to look through this morning, uh, uh, let's look at the time, but um, that we might want to look at this morning will be how we can renew or rediscover our sense of calling and identity that we have in Christ and to be able to live in a way and pray in such a way that responds to what God is doing around us and finally to touch the heart of God. That is the heart of prayer, to be able to resonate and beat with the heartbeat of God. So renewing our identity and calling in Christ. We were born for relationships. Uh, uh, scientists and uh, child psychologists will say that uh, even the baby uh, within a few days of life will already start to recognize the face of the mother, the voice of the mother. So even from early on, um, a child, would, a baby would, uh, would start to relate with the mother and eventually the father as well. But you know, in, in the same way, when we come to the life of faith, it is based on a living relationship with God. And, uh, you know, our prayer life can be transactional or relational. Transactional prayers are those that we think we have ticked the right boxes, we've done the, the right rituals. The pastor was praying earlier about rituals. We have ticked the right boxes and rituals and uh, we, we come before God and say, based on what I've done, hopefully there's some response, favorable response, uh, from God. That is transactional, and of course we petition before God, but our petitioning comes from a context of a trust relationship with God. And if our prayers are more transactional, um, you know, that's... The, the people of Israel, when they went into idolatry, and we saw this in Elijah and, and the history of the people of Israel, when they fell into idolatry, their relationships with God and the deities they prayed with was very transactional. You, you brought the sacrifices, you brought the offerings, you hoped for a favorable response. We know very tragically that eventually the people, some of them at least, also sacrificed their children when times were desperate 
um, they, they actually sacrifice uh, children as well. And that's uh, the tragic end of a transactional relationship where we try to make up our best to, to fill up the boxes to, to uh, uh, surrender uh, whatever we have, even our children, for the sake of a favorable uh, reply. And uh, God said in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, we'll come back to that verse, but that word mercy in the original Hebrew language, it has seed. It's, 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 it talks about mercy and kindness, but at its heart, it is a covenantal devotional relationship between God and His people. And God is saying, I desire that devotional relationship, not the actual rituals and sacrifices. So we'll come back to that as we uh, go along. And so for Daniel, when he prayed in chapter 9, he's praying from a decades-old identification with the nation of Israel. And you see uh, in, in his prayer in chapter 9, he identifies with the sin and failure of the nation. It's not saying, you know, I've been faithful and this, the rest of them were not faithful, so I'm apart from them. No, he identifies with the sin and failure of the people. And together with God's people, he reminds God, if I can use that phrase, that they bear his name. We see from the earlier chapters of Daniel that uh, Daniel and his friends had a very str strong sense of identity, even though they started out as teenagers, right? They, you read in chapter 1, for example, Daniel and his friends refused to eat the king's food. Jesus, he did not want to identify with the dietary uh, conventions of the Babylonians. And a lot of the other exiles might have taken the opportunity to say that God didn't protect us, right? God, you know, we are in exile, we're in trouble, and now we have new masters. So, we need to cari makan, we need to adjust to the new reality and uh, compromise, but they did not, right? They, they at a potential cost and risk to themselves, they, you know, they, they maintain their identity as God's people. And Daniel, throughout his life, maintained a lifestyle of, of prayer and, and devotion and reading of uh, Israel's scripture to maintain his sense of identity. We see, for example, in Daniel chapter 6, that uh, uh, Daniel prayed pre three times a day uh, to, to remain connected uh, to God. So Daniel's strong sense of identity drove his prayer life. So it was not a random, how do I call it, um, request. His prayer life had a purpose and a direction, as we can see from uh, Daniel chapter 9. Jesus, as well, had a strong sense of identity. Now, Jesus was and is and forever will be the divine son of God. He's divine eternally. But the incarnation main, means that he came as a human as well. He, he went through our earthly existence uh, and reality as well. And in that sense, his earthly ministry as a human, he also had to develop that sense of identity. We see in Luke there when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, he went to the temple, right? With, uh, you know, uh, he, his parents did not realize it, but he was at the temple and he said to his parents, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Alternative uh, translation will be, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? That sense of purpose and identity came on strongly uh, in the young life of Jesus. And 
In John chapter 5 here, he says that my father is always at work and his identity and calling was to join uh, the work of his father. And so that's, again, that strong sense of identity and purpose uh, gave uh, Jesus that purpose and direction. As believers in Christ, we need to also rediscover, renew our sense of identity and calling. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that believers in Christ have the Spirit of God in us and that Spirit is also a Spirit of adoption, that we are made sons and daughters of the Most High God. And in that relationship, it is an intimate relationship with the God whom we now call our Father. So we, we are saved from bondage to fear and slavery to the dark powers of this fallen world to be sons and daughters of God. That sense of identity and calling is the one thing that will drive our prayer life even as we deal with the circumstances around us. Now, identity is very important because identity tells you not only who you are, identity tells you who you are not. You are no longer a slave towards sin. Sometimes we say that, yeah, I make up like that, uh, you know, that's me and I can't change. That's not true. If you are a child of God, now you have a new calling, a new identity. You're no longer subject to the powers of this dark world. It also means that with a strong sense of identity, you are a child of God, immediately there are some options in life that is not for you. For example, you could be a businessman and you've got a deal and obviously, you know, that deal perhaps involves some form of a payment, bribery, etc. I mean, with your identity, you would immediately know that this is not for you and you don't have to struggle with that choice. That sense of identity gives you a sense of drive and purpose. I've known of uh, uh, Christians um, through my... I don't know personally, but I've known Christians that uh, they get involved with in some of the, you know, quick, get-quick-rich uh, schemes. Um, in Penang, is quite famous for some of these uh, get-rich-quick schemes. And... You know, as, as, as an identity of a child of God, that you trust the provision of a loving father, you should know without much struggle that some of these schemes are not for you. And it's not a um, good testimony, for example, if we get involved in such schemes and lose a lot of money. It's just not good uh, testimony because it, it, it shows where your identity is. In, are you striving in desperate measures to get more and more money, or are you stable, you're fixed in your sense of provision and blessing that you live under God, your Father? The sense of identity also gives us a driving purpose. I shared previously that this... Uh, uh, this psychologist, famous psychologist, Viktor Frankl, he survived Auschwitz, the uh, German concentration camp over World War II, and he said that those prisoners that survived had a sense of identity and purpose, a driving sense of meaning and purpose in life. And so the circumstances might be, must be very desperate or, or dire or very bad, 
but that sense of identity and purpose will actually make you overcome those circumstances. Also, a sense of identity gives you stability. It gives you security. Jesus says in John chapter 8 that a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son has permanent place. A son, a daughter, is a member of God's family forever. And so having a strong sense of identity gives you the security and the stability to come before God, your Father, despite the present situation or the present circumstances you might be facing. Now, this, having this strong sense of identity gives us the platform or the foundation to be able to live in such a way that we are responsive to God and not trapped by the circumstances we face. We either live in such a way that we are responsive to God, to what He's doing, to what He has promised, to what He's doing around us, or we will be subject, we will be held in bondage to the present circumstances we are facing. Now, to be frank, it's quite natural uh, that we approach God with Obviously, our daily worries, our anxieties, our burdens. Psalms are filled with, uh, you know, the, the, the crying despair and the frustration of the psalmist. God, why do you stand far off? Why do you not listen? Why are you not acting? And, and uh, this is, a, living, this is a, a very present reality for a lot of us as we struggle with the circumstances of life. But having come before God, we must allow ourselves to be renewed in our sense of identity and position before God, so that we begin to strengthen ourselves in God and deal with our circumstances from, our pers- from the perspective of God. So, in other words, we must not view and interact with God from the perspectives of our circumstances. Because if we are approaching God trapped in the perspective, the prism of our circumstances, then we will naturally lose faith. We will lose hope. You know, God is cruel. God did not answer this prayer. Uh, God allowed this strategy to happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with God from the position, from the perspective of our circumstances. And now I say that, you know, this is a natural response for a lot of us a lot of the time. But the promise of God is that when we enter into that century of prayer, that our lives, our minds, our perspectives are transformed so that we start to deal with our circumstances from the strength and the perspective of God. This is what uh, Daniel had to go through. Understand that he's about nearly 70 years. He's about 67, 68 years under exile. For 67, 68 years, he had been seeing the enemy of his people destroy whatever national identity or hope and the spiritual life of Israel. The temple was gone. And although he maintained a strong sense of personal faith and growth, the nation was in shambles. There's no reasonable expectation why Israel could be restored again. Persia was... There's no reasonable expectation 
that it could have been possible that the exiles would start to go back to their homeland, including Israel. And so what did Daniel have in bringing his prayer before God? If it's the present circumstances, of course, there's no hope. I mean, why would there be any hope? They have been in bondage for nearly 70 years. All Daniel had was the word of promise from God. And as he searched the scriptures, his faith began to respond to the word of God that said 70 years. And so he's not having any signs of hope, right? He's not having like an insider news that something great may happen. All he had was God's promise. And he approached prayer from the position of God's promise that God said 70 years, and now, Lord, it has been almost 70 years, I pray for the restoration of my people. And that was his uh, perspective in bringing and responding the plight of the nation before God in response to what God himself had promised earlier. In a similar way, Jesus lived in response to God the Father. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now again, this is from the position of Jesus' early, uh, his earthly ministry, his incarnation as a human who had to learn faith, who had to learn obedience, who had to learn discernment from prayer from, to discern the will and the direction of his Father in heaven. And so we shouldn't assume that it was default, right, for Jesus. You know, he, he just got it by default. He never had to pray. He never had to make any kind of discernment. Uh, we read from the Gospels very clearly, for example, before he chose his 12 disciples, Jesus spent the whole night praying. If, if it was automatic and default for him, why pray? Jesus models for us a lifestyle of prayer and discernment to walk in step with what God, the Heavenly Father, required. And so Jesus in this uh, passage, in John chapter 5, says, the Son can do nothing for himself, but the Son can only do what he sees God the Father doing. And so through his earthly ministry, he has to be discerning of what God is provisioning for him, of who God is bringing into his ministry, of what he should be doing when he's praying for the sick, and providing that, that word of hope and encouragement and salvation to those around him, as well as, of course, his confrontation with the religious elites of his day. We have to do likewise. We have to be a people that will walk in step with God's Spirit, that will live in response to God's work and how He is working around us. The first step is that need to abide in Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 15, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That need to have the word of Christ, God's word revealed primarily through the person of his son Jesus Christ, forming, impacting our lives, our outlook, our attitudes, our mind, how we think. If we are shaped by Christ, by the Word of Christ and remaining in that living relationship with Him, 
then our prayers will be very different. This, uh, you know, ask for whatever you wish is not a, um, this is not a free-for-all prayer buffet, right? You, you ask whatever, you know, whenever you want. Uh, this is from the perspective of having the Word of Christ form your thoughts and attitude so that, just like uh, this uh, scholar uh, Ramsey Michael says, you will pray the prayer that Jesus himself would have prayed. In other words, you will pray like how Jesus prayed. And that's the context of this verse. And when you pray as Jesus would have prayed, then our lives will be coming in alignment with all that God is doing around us. It's very important to uh, have that perspective of strong identity and living in response uh, to God. Because at the heart of our prayer is to know the heart of God. We need this perspective so that our experience and perspective of prayer is not about convincing a reluctant God. It's not about, you know, I make sure I get the checklist right and I'm coming before him and, you know, let's try to move his hand, let's Let's try to overcome that resistance. Let's, let's try to make sure that God is favorable to our prayer. The heart of Christian prayer is to know and discover the heart of our Heavenly Father. Hosea again. Hosea 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. I desire devotion, that covenant faithfulness, not sacrifice, not rituals. At the heart of our relationship with God is this Hebrew word hasid, which means loving kindness, covenant faithfulness, the steadfast love. And so we see that word hasid, that loving kindness of the Lord, just, you know, all throughout the, the you know, Scripture, the Old Testament, the Psalms, Psalm 60, uh, 63, your loving kindness, hasid, is better than life. If we touch we are connected with the heart of God, we know that His loving kindness exceeds whatever circumstances of life up to and including death. Psalm 63 again, you know, because you are my help, I will sing under the shadow of your wings. That's the beating heart of God, that that loving, steadfast love of God that we need to come into connection with. Daniel's prayer touched the very heart of God. He prayed not with excuses. You know, we, we didn't mean it. Uh, you know, there was so much political pressure. We, you know, we failed, but not exactly our fault. He just says, you know, we have sinned. You have, God has provided us many warnings, but we failed. And now judgment has come upon our nation. He, he, you know, he, he confessed the sins of the nation. But then he touched the heart of God because now he knows that Israel, the people of God, has no excuse before God. All they have was to trust in his mercy. And so he touched on this. Um, in fact, he, he, he starts off his prayer with Hasid as well, the, the covenant of love. And that, that word there, Hasid, is also there. Basically, he's saying that we have failed as a people because of our sin. But now we trust in the unfailing, steadfast love of God that Daniel is bold to 
in that sense, know that God's heart desire is to have mercy, that, that her seed, that steadfast love to his people, and he's touching on that aspect of God's heart in praying this prayer for the nation. And he's praying, Lord, for your own sake, for the sake of your name that we bear. Because God has placed his name over Israel. And if Israel remains in a state of exile and sin, then the name of the Lord will be blasphemed. It will be dishonored because then others might say that the loving kindness of God, that her seed, love, and covenant faithfulness of God has failed his people. And so Daniel, again, he's touching on the very heart of God, his desire to see that his name is honored and that his people redeemed. And God responds to heartfelt prayers of his people. Read here in uh, Daniel chapter 23 that, uh, I mean, around those verses, the angel Gabriel came in response to his prayer. And this is what the angel Gabriel said to Daniel. As soon as you began to pray, God answered. The word of the Lord was released. The reality of heaven changed as soon as David, uh, sorry, Daniel began his prayer. Now, if you read uh, through uh, Daniel chapter 9, it's quite lengthy, right? The prayer, I, you know, we just read a portion of that, but it's quite lengthy. And if it's a summary, that means Daniel's actual prayer was actually quite lengthy. And he began, he began the prayer in about verse 4 to say, Lord, great and awesome God. At that point, God had already answered. It... it, it but I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray long prayers. Huh? The, the, the lengthy prayers is part of our pouring out of our hearts before God, and that's part of a living relationship with God. But what I'm saying is that as soon as Daniel began to pray, God, Lord, God has answered. And as a child of God, you come before the throne of your Heavenly Father, Father, help, the word has been released. The word of God that changes heaven and earth is released when a child of God turns to him in believing faith. And uh, the, the angel uh, Gabriel uh, continued to say in the last bit there, you are highly esteemed. Um, this is something incredible because uh, you know, Daniel and his people had no self-justifying position before God. I mean, you know, as a nation, they had failed, right? But yet God, in his mercy, especially for Daniel as the prophetic representation of his people, you are, says you are highly esteemed. Uh, recently, we had this uh, song going around, The Blessing, right? Uh, you know, The Blessing, Jane. Anyway. The Blessing, uh, this, this song, and of course, I think many of you would know that uh, it's based on uh, Numbers chapter 6, the priestly, high priestly prayer and blessing for God's people. And I'd like to suggest to you that as you look at the scripture that says the word of the Lord was released immediately when Daniel began to pray and that Daniel was esteemed, that the background that we hear that high priestly prayer or blessing of God upon his people. 
that the, you know, and I suggest that we all start to have that perspective as we come to God in prayer, that as you pray, that hear the word of the Lord, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's the word of the Lord released over your prayers. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The light of his countenance, his presence, is his, like a parent seeing a baby and or the child or the toddler and the that the light of the parents' countenance, their, their presence, their provision, their protection, their love over the child just shines forth upon that child. Similarly, as we face towards God, the light of His face shines upon us. And that the Lord turn His face toward you. Or in other translations, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you. The original Hebrew word gives something of a sense of God's smiles over you. He takes delights over you. And that's God's reality. We don't feel that all the time because of our circumstances. Sometimes we feel that our prayers are meaningless or without result. God's reality when you open up to Him in faith, believing response, that God smiles, His delight, His presence over your prayers. And God's response leads to revelation. Uh, uh, Gabriel, the angel, said, Daniel, I've come to give you insight and understanding. God's response leads to revelation so that we might have deeper understanding and insight into what God is doing around us. Now, for Daniel, he's praying because 70 years are up. But God is giving him further insight and revelation and understanding how exactly the return from exile would look like. And perhaps it is not according to what Daniel might have expected. Daniel, from Daniel's perspective, perhaps it was 70 years and perhaps quite a, quite a fast restoration. If God moves, nothing is impossible, you know, we'll probably be back soon, maybe. But if you notice, and we're not going to uh, go in-depth in here, the response of God to give him revelation and insight is, not just 70 years, but 70 times 7 years. The 70 weeks represents years. So we are not talking about 70 years, we are talking about 490 years in terms of God's progressive plan to bring His people back from exile and the promise of the Messiah. So even though Daniel prayed in a way that resonated with God's heart, he didn't um, the answer is not in ex exactly what he would have wished or expected. Obviously, he's, he's over 80 years old, so he's not going to survive, right? He won't see. It's not going to happen. The completion of God's plan is not going to be within his lifetime. And so God's revelation brings us into the deeper insight, even though it may not comply 100% with what we are actually asking for according to our expectation, but it is an invitation to come to a deeper relationship and understanding of what God is doing around us. And Jesus had the same thing. He resonated with the heart of the Father, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, let this cup be removed from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And again, an angel appears to strengthen Jesus, and I believe that strengthening is also in part to strengthen Jesus, that this is 
the way that had to be done. He strengthened himself with God's purposes in mind. Interestingly, uh, Hebrews chapter 5 says that Jesus with Christ, to the one that could have saved him, cried before the Lord, and he was answered. The, the, his prayers were heard, and you know, our first impression was actually, uh, how was his prayer heard? He actually went through the cross. Um, but if you read in Hebrews chapter 5, it was the completion of God's purposes that uh, because of Jesus' faith and obedience, uh, Jesus is highly exalted as the high priest. So we pray in a, in, in a way that touches God's heart and we resonate with the heart of God, even though the exact outcome may not be according to what we originally expected or wished for. I'm going to um, leave it at here for now. I'll, I'll leave the uh, discussion points. Uh, it's in the sermon notes. I'll, I'll leave it to you. Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 12 said this to the crowds, the people of Israel of his day. You know how to interpret when the rain is coming, when it's good weather, bad weather. How is it you don't how, know how to interpret this present time? That the people of Jesus' day did not realize what God was doing through Jesus. I leave this with you, huh? We of all people, as God's people, in the light of all that is happening around us, we must be the ones that discern God's heart. We cannot live as if, yeah, it, you know, it comes and goes, this crisis, let's try to cope with it. Because how different would that be from other people? If you came out of, if you came to age, let's say you were about 10 to 12 years of age, by 2001, you would have entered a world coming of maturity, in a world that has, you know, some people call it the age of the unthinkable. In 9-11, we had the, the, the worst form of terrorist attack on a nation that was so visible. You went through the 2000-2008 crisis, which a lot of economists say was the worst on record. At that time, we thought it was the, basically the end of the financial world. It was that bad. And now the COVID, which, apart from the Spanish flu, this was, is the, the worst health crisis we have faced in a generation. And no matter where we are at, in school, in our workplace, in our families, our neighborhoods, people will struggle to understand what is happening. And God's people believers in Christ must be the ones that discern the heart of God. We may not know everything, and we shouldn't pretend that we know everything. But if we cannot discern God's heart, then what hope is there for other people? Do we trust governments, NGOs? These are very necessary. But we of all people must be the ones on our knees to discern the heart of God for our generation. And so I want to um, take the next few minutes just praying for all of us here and also those of you joining online. I want to first of all quickly pray that if you're not sure of your identity, who you are, 
whose you are. I'd like to pray for the child of God in Christ Jesus. I want to pray for us as a church as well that we are weighed down by the anxiety of the present time such that we cannot connect back with the heart of God. I'd like to also pray for us, me, myself included as well, that we will pray with such discerning hearts that we will know God's heart even though we may not know the complete picture. I'd like to invite you to open your hearts before the Lord even as He ministers to us. Holy Father, I pray for those who come to you now as orphans, abandoned with the feelings of abandonment and loss. Father, as you look upon their hearts, I pray, Lord, that this day they will know for sure that they are your son, your daughter in Christ Jesus. I pray for the release of the heart of faith to come to the Lord. I pray, Lord, for all of us. In our dry and shallow prayer life, so often, Lord, we miss your heart. I pray that you will turn our hearts once again to you. I ask, Lord, by the release of your Holy Spirit, that our prayer life may be energized by your love, that our prayer lives may be directed to resonate with your heart. So, Lord, look upon the hearts of your people even right now and release the power of your Spirit and pour out your love upon us. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have uh, made that commitment to the Lord and you need extra prayer, there will be a ministry time where our pastors will be able to spend one-on-one session with you and we want to encourage you to do that if you have a need and you want that personal prayer uh, support from our pastors. The Lord bless you and keep you and let's prepare our hearts now for the Holy Communion.